Welcome to Conversation with Lance. I got my special guest, Ray Cousins. Thanks for joining me. I'm done, I'm done. What's up, look, I see you. I had last time I seen you, man. You, you look a slim now, man. I ain't trying, man. You went on, I know you went on the fast. You want to talk about what inspired you for the fast? Yeah, man. I just wanted to, wanted to drop the weight. You know, I got out the military in 2012. Um, put on about 60 pounds in about between a three-year period. For 60, 65, so the goal was to get back down to our natural weight, so um, we started with the um, changing of the diet and then um, fasted for 14 days. So what was that like? I know physically it took a toll, but mentally, how was that? I think it's all mental. It's mental warfare. You know, the first, first four to five days was actually the withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You know, the withdrawal symptoms, the cravings, um, the mood imbalances. And then after that, your body goes into cruise control, so. How'd you deal with the, the different? I just fight through it. You realize it's all mental, it's not physical, you're not going to die. <laughs> you know, you're not in pain. You know, just to trust the process and get through it. Because a lot of the things that you eat, you know, salts, sugars, caffeine... All of this stuff, you become addicted to it. So you're going through withdrawal like you would go through any other addiction. So that's, um, yeah, the first five days was really rough. And after that, it was pretty much a cruise control. Yeah, I, man, I don't know. You know, I think about doing it sometimes, but you know me and Popeyes, bro. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's worth it, but now everything else is in moderation. So yeah. would, would you would you would you uh, consider doing it? If you feel would you do it again? Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, not only is it good physically to kind of withdraw to give your body a rest to let your body heal itself because eighty percent of what you put eighty percent of your body is used to digest food. 80% of your body's energy is used to digest food. When you're not digesting food, your body gets a chance to rest and also work on your body. So, it's a, I definitely would do it again. So, do you, how you, you do that intermittent fasting? Have you ever? Um, I don't have it down pat, but I try to. I try to eat within an eight hour period. So, from I would say from around 11 to 7, I like to eat all my foods and then I don't consume anything but water and tea throughout the rest. Okay. I know you're a Navy vet. Thanks for your service. Thank you. What inspired you to get in the Navy? What inspired you to go in? Um, I, um, I'm fifth generation, um, I'm a fifth generation veteran, you know, it's kind of like Every everybody goes into the military. My family comes back and either gets into the government or, you know, police officers, correctional officers, stuff like that. So, um, I feel like that was probably that was probably my path. What was your uh, What was the best? What was the biggest thing you learned in the military? Um, just the experience, the learning of different cultures, getting out of your environment, and um, learning more about other people and how they live and kind of helps you um, figure out how you want to live. How was that, you know, going from Baltimore to the Navy? How was that transition? Man, it was a, it was a tough transition because you go from um, 
I mean, you go from your environment to not only being in the Navy, but being in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was a pretty difficult transition, but probably took about two years to fully acclimate, but it worked out. So you had like a bunch of, you had like good leadership, good mentors that helped Absolutely. You. Absolutely. There's a lot of brothers, a lot of older brothers that um, came from inner cities and went to the military and were successful. So I had a good, um, good circle, circle of um, OGs and friends and stuff and made it through. So now currently, how have you transitioned from the Navy to the civilian world? Um, that wasn't as of a difficult transition, but it was a transition. Um, being regimented as far as when you go to work, when you work out, to now, the ball is in your court. I mean, the ball's in your court in the military at the same time as far as how hard you work, um, your advancement and everything like that. But being out of the military, the ball is completely in your court. So, you know, job hunting and school and everything. So so how, when you were coming up, like, mm-hmm. what, what influenced you the most in Baltimore? Um, I think my family, man. You know, my father... My father's a, um, he's a retired correction officer. My grandfather, um, he was, at the time of his retirement in 1978, he was one of the highest ranking black police officers. Um, he was a military veteran. His brother was a military veteran. Um, got countless cousins and family members that were veterans that came back. They either become police officers or work for the federal government. And um, I felt as though that was something that I had to follow. So, like, the current state of Baltimore, I mean, you know, it's a, we, we, we look at the news, we see the crime, yeah. we see the, you know, the, the situation with education, things like that. Where do you stand? How, like, what's your, what's your perception of Baltimore? I know that's your hometown. What's your um, current perception of it? I believe that what you read, you sow. You know, Baltimore has been, um, has been, black Baltimore, mm-hmm. I believe, um, has been economically castrated. Um, there's not a lot of opportunities. Education is poor. Um, I mean, it's just, Everything now was at a bubble to where everybody's like, what's going on with Baltimore? But this has been something that's been going on for a long time. But you know what I didn't know? I didn't know, coming up, I didn't know Baltimore was as segregated as it was. Like, I, I read a lot of stories, like the segregation of Baltimore. Like, you had black you had black people in this certain section of Baltimore. You had white people in this certain section. Did you experience that? Um... Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, where I grew up, I grew up in two different parts of Northwest. Northwest, the only time you would see any other race besides a black was either a police officer or a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up in South Baltimore, it was, it was pretty mixed. Um, it was pretty mixed. Um, it was ethnically white, but of course, a lot of black people down there too. Um, few Hispanic sprinkle in as well so it was a little little more diverse yeah so if you if you if you could do anything to fix it because I know that's your hometown I know you care about it a lot what, what would you what were some of the plans you would implement to fix it 
think more money in the educate ed- education, um, and you know more job opportunities. You know what brought, especially a lot of black black people have always been in Baltimore, but what brought most black people there. Bethlehem Steel Company, these industrial jobs that that aren't there anymore, and nothing has been um, done to supplement that. Okay. So I think more opportunities, more uh, more job and um, educational opportunities to grow and enhance themselves. You know, I you know we've been friends for a long time, and we talk about a lot of sports. You know, different sports. But one thing that I never, never knew, like we, our friendship has grown. I never knew you were as much of an avid reader that you are. Like, talk about some of the influential books you read. Um, I think it started when I was a kid. Um, my father would have me read, you know, a lot of books, autobi- autobiography of Malcolm X, um, message to the black man. I mean. All types of black books, even down the slave manuscripts and newspapers from the 1800s and stuff like that. Um, I think it was his mission to educate me as a young black child on the world that I'll be stepping into when I grow up. So I think books are yeah, it's a big, big part of my life. And it's funny, man, because, you know, I was coming up. We, I, I'm going to be honest, man. Even now, I'm not much of a reader. Like... I, I maybe read, you know, one book, you know, maybe one book a year. It's not something I'm proud of. I'm actually kind of ashamed of it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just not something that I yeah. grew up doing. It's, um, you know, I'm trying to do it more now because, you know, my, I got a six-year-old daughter, and I'm trying to instill in her reading. And... You can't instill something in somebody that you're not doing. I don't ever want my daughter to look at me saying, well, Dad, you know, you, you want to read a book. You know, you, you, you always encourage me to read. Yeah. But you're not reading. Absolutely. So it's like, uh, but I want to get into your your big passion, man. I know you are huge on the genealogy thing. It's, we, talk, we talked about it periodically, but I just want to get more in depth in it. Like, how did you get into that? Because that's a lot of research, man. It's, it's time consuming it's a lot of effort but I know you put your heart into that like how did you get into that well um, in the 7th grade uh, where I grew up in Baltimore um, the block the block I grew up in uh, I lived across the street from my great grandmother but my great grandmother never acknowledged my grandparents Oh shit! Sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Well, in the seventh in the seventh grade, I think I was around eleven or twelve. I had a um, school project, which was to get as much information on your family tree as possible, and when you come into class, talk about it. So I really got engaged with it, and I really got, I really really got into it and putting everything together. And back to what I was talking about, my great grandmother. Uh, she grew up across the street from from me, mm-hmm. but it was a family riff going all the way back to when my grandparents were teenagers. They grew up across the street from each other. Okay. So when my grandparents had my mother, my great grandmother refused to acknowledge my 
my grandmother, my mother as her granddaughter. So it was really deep. I mean, to the point where so you're walking, I mean, past the everyday walking to school, walking home, out playing. She's in the front. We don't look at each other. She'll look right past you. She like she doesn't know you, and that um that really caused a lot of pain with my mother, of mm-hmm. course. But um, when I got that project in the seventh grade, I walked over and knocked on the door. Man, I was maybe I was in the sixth, but I was around eleven or twelve, and I knocked on the door. And I remember this, man. I was like, "Hello, how you doing? My name is Raymond Cousins. I know I live across the street." I know you don't really like us, but <laughs> you're my great grandmother. Um, could you help me with my family tree? Yeah. You know, and she invited me into the house. Oh. She um, got me something to drink, made me something to eat, and sat down and told me all about her parents, her grandparents, where she came from, and everything. And, you know, my great-grandfather, he was the same way, refused to acknowledge my grandmother. He died, my mother, he died in 84. Okay. So she filled me in on everything, showed me pictures, and really gave me a um, great insight on my maternal side of the family. I got a good grade on the project. And um, ever since then, it's been a passion of mine, just putting pieces together in a puzzle. Because you look at things like my great-grandmother... And the riff with my mother's side of the family and everything. And you wonder, how did that come to be? Mm-hmm. In genealogy, learning about how she grew up, where she grew up, her parents, my my grandfather, how he grew up. Kind of putting all that together as far as genealogy helped me solve a lot of mysteries within my family. And kind of pinpoint the cycles that are passed down from generation to generation and kind of cut that off. So it's very beneficial. I, I haven't stopped since. Yeah, we talk about it. I, it's funny because I, I've, I've never really done any research. Um, I'm not going to say it's not important. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, Of course, I know where my parents come from. I know where my father comes from. My father's from... Alabama, like the little small country town in Alabama. But before he passed, we, we never really talked about family. Like, I don't know. Um, also, just like you say, like, I, um, my grandparents, I still have my maternal, my paternal grandparents have passed, but I still have my maternal grandparents. And um, they never talked about where they came from, who their parents were, anything. Uh-huh. So once I started getting into it, she gave they gave me some names and that's it. And then when I came back to them, and oh, you're pretty good at this, yeah. you know. But it's like you said, just pinpointing things. Like for instance, I was raised by my father. My mother was a drug addict. Thank God she's off of drugs now. We have a good relationship. Everything's good, but. Throughout my childhood, she was on drugs. Okay. Um, my grandfather wasn't active in her life. He was an alcoholic. Oh. His father was an alcoholic. Okay. His father um, served in a Spanish-American war, came back, deformed leg. Oh. He was an alcoholic. And he, so, did you see that? It's that that's four that's a pattern. That's four generations of 
this happened to me because this happened to you because this happened to me. Yeah. And genealogy helped me break everything down and understand the psyche of a lot of my ancestors and humanizing them. Because it's not just like a name on a, on my tree, like, okay, Charles Stallings is my grandfather. Charles Stallings Sr. was my great-grandfather. It's Charles Stallings was X, Y, and Z. These were his experiences in his life, and this is what he passed down to his child, which passed down to my mother, which passed down to me. It's, you know what? It's funny, man. You mentioned the alcohol. Um, so on my, on my father's side, alcohol. It's it's a problem. Like all my my father, unfortunately, was alcoholic. All pretty much all my uncles battle with alcohol, and you know I do sit back and I wonder why. Um, I don't I don't know. I can't say genealogy would help. It may help. I don't know. But you you, as a you know my last name Lampion and and all the men do every. Male with the last name Lampin on my father, all his brothers, they died early. So I really I talk about it all the time with my wife. Like we talk about health things, you know, your family history, your health history. And it's really hard for me to pinpoint my father's health history because I don't really know why we didn't talk about it. Like, you know, most black men don't Absolutely. we don't really talk about health. And number two, you know, when when everybody's abusing alcohol. You don't really know what other health issues they have, so it's like, man, absolutely. You know, you know when I looked at, um, when I do look at my ancestors and and the you know the records that I've amassed, um, I have a lot of death certificates. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at that, like my grand, my grand, my great grandmother's death certificate, her mother's death certificate, her siblings, my. Great grand, you know, just look at everybody's death certificate on my maternal side of the family. Mm-hmm. And one thing that is um, prevalent is hypertension. Really? Hypertension is on every one of theirs. So, you know, just kind of looking at that and understanding, okay, well, my mother has high blood pressure. My, you know, my aunt has high blood pressure. You see that cycle yeah. and you can kind of actually pinpoint that and you look at the stresses so um for instance like you talked about your father you know your father like your father being from Alabama you don't know much about him um if I was the if I was looking say if this was my ancestor not only would I look at his family mm-hmm. his father grandfather mother aunts uncles and everything like that and start to research them and understand about their life I'll also look into um, just studying the area studying the area at that time old newspapers um, just gaining more knowledge about that area to kind of put everything together okay. to see what those stresses could have been because not everybody comes from traumatic experiences that were alcoholics or abusive. Some people come from, you know, my great-grandfather had his Ph.D. in 1955. He was the dean of Bowie. He was a professor of art at Morgan State, and his son ended up going to college, dropping out, and becoming an alcoholic for 30 years. So... And this was a... And I didn't mean to cut you off, but this is a... Your grandfather, this is a black man that yeah. was running these schools. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Man, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, you got, when you think about, you know, the realm of history, we're talking about 
you know, segregation. Segregation was still strong at the time. Education, yeah. you're talking about what, Brown versus Board of Education. That's, that was 1954. So yeah. they hear about a black man actually in charge of education, a school, you know, a school, a college. A black man in charge of that and segregation just ended. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and that's something that I didn't know before I started researching. I knew nothing. Only thing I knew about him is my grandfather's junior. His father is senior. That's it. That's all I knew. Man. So once I started the research, he was born in um, he was born in Missouri. He was raised in Gary, Indiana. Um, served in World War Two. Mm-hmm. He played the clarinet in the band. I don't know if he, I don't know if he got action with it, but that's that's what I learned. <laughs> and then he went on and got his bachelor's degree from Lincoln University, I believe, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's um, yeah. And then he went and got his master's degree from Iowa State University. Wow. And I actually have a copy of his um, dissertation. He got his PhD in 1955. From Penn State University. You got the dissertation? I got the dissertation. Um, I have various news articles on him. Um, he was a he was a renowned artist who won a lot of competitions. He did he did I have a copy of a mural. It's actually still at Morgan State University hanging right now. Um, I have um, I mean he has he's won uh, woodworking. Um, he has art all over the place, from woodworking to paintings to everything. How'd you get that dissertation? Um, like I said, it starts from the genealogy, just researching. Um, he, from the news, looking up new, old newspaper articles on him. Um, like I said, he was a dean of faculty at Bowie State, contacted Bowie State. Um, he was the head of the art department from, I think, 1947 to... 1971 or something like that. Okay. And um, I contacted Morgan State University, and they had the head of the art department contacting me back, mm-hmm. and he had all this on 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 record. So then, once I put all that together, it was like, man, this guy did some amazing things. But you know, one thing is he his son he was he had a problem with drinking. His son. He was hard on his son, which was my grandfather. My grandfather had my mother with my grandmother at 17. Uh. And my my great-grandfather, in turn, shipped him to Gary, Indiana, to a military academy to get him straight. Uh. And he refused to acknowledge my mother's paternity. So he grew up, she grew up in the same neighborhood as her biological grandfather and refused to acknowledge him. So... Is and that in turn harmed my mother. So you have all of these accolades, accolades, all of this stuff that he's accomplished. It's amazing. Have it all on record. Have pictures and newspaper articles and stuff. But at the same time, no one is perfect. He right, still right, had right, his right. demons. He still did. He still was a more maybe a morally bankrupt. <laughs> You know, and then when I asked, I initially asked my grandfather about him. My grandfather said, oh, man, he was a drunk that was never home. Wow. That's the only thing that he said. So once I researched that, that's the power of genealogy. You can put together the good with the bad. And they could be remembered as more 
as a name that's just on my wall. Good or bad? So, so a man that accomplished, you know, still had demons that strong. Absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, it's it's funny we talk about that. Like, you know, last month was mental health, man. and um, I think you know, I, I think it's especially especially us black men. You know, I think we we tend to be a little dismissive of mental health, but I think. I think we had it on the right right track. I think we, um, you know, I think we get into a better place. What, what do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think we are headed in the right direction where um, black men can express themselves um, and get the support that they need to be better. And I think that hasn't been uh, real big in our community. Yeah, because. Well, I'm gonna use myself for example. Like you know, coming up and you know, you you think about things how you grew up. You know, the events you you lived through, the experiences you've gone through, and it follows you. Like it follows you all through your relationships. Like just things that happen within your relationship, within your marriages, everything. And you you never really take the time to think about it, especially us. I mean, you know, we taught the black man to be strong, keep pushing forward. And sometimes, man, you just don't have it. Absolutely. Like, you just don't have it. And then you get in that rut. And it's really, you, you know, you, you don't really want to go too in too in too much in detail because it's like you may be viewed as weak. Because, you know, we so, we so focus on the physical, but we yeah. don't really focus on the mental too much. And, you know, it's just, it's just tough. But I know, you know, Family is important, and I know you just got married. Congratulations! You've been about you. a year. Like, talk about the influence your wife has on you. Ah, oh, man, that's that's my better half. <laughs> you know, like I thought that was kind of a cliche term until until it happened to me, man. She's really my better half. My voice of reason. Uh, she's a certified nutritionist, so she is the driver throughout all of my successes as far as, you know, losing, losing over 48 pounds in a year and a half, um, just living right, being better. I mean, she's, she's everything, man. I can't, I can't, I can't understate or overstate it, man. She's everything, man. Cause I mean, I, we've known each other. We met in 2012 and I can honestly say, man, you, you seem like you in a much better space. Not that you were, you know, terrible but I think anytime you get a good a good woman a good a good breath of fresh air it helps I mean you know we look you know we 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 tend not to look at how important a good woman or a good man is in our lives it's it's really undervalued you know a good woman will inspire you she'll motivate you and and just push you to do better things and I could just tell man like from 2012 to 2018, you in a much better space, man. And it's absolutely good to see. Absolutely, I appreciate that, man. I mean, it's just she completes me. Yeah, you know. And once you get that, man, it's just it's no talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, we, you know, that you know, the saying is behind every good man, it's a good woman. Yeah, and I'm starting to see that. Like these, like you try, like. When you're trying to do something important, it's always good to have a, a strong oh, yeah. woman that you could bounce ideas right. off, and she could tell you yes, yeah, she could tell you no. But 
the main thing is she'll inspire you. Absolutely. Like, I have, um, you know, there's things I'm trying to do with myself, and I'll talk to my wife, and she'll tell me, you know, she'll tell me I believe in you, and you need to hear that. Like, you really need to hear that. It's nothing, it's nothing more satisfying than a person who loves you and knows your energy, knows everything about you, and they tell you, you know what? I see what you're trying to do. I see your vision, and I believe in you. Yeah. It's very important. It's true. Absolutely. Um, you know, but it's it's we it's tough. I mean, it's it's life. You know, it's good because you always want somebody to, to navigate life with. You know, it's it could be tough. I mean, it's tough out here to be by yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know, this has been a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. I always try to give my guests a gift, so I know you're read a person who reads a lot. So I wanted to give you this new book by Claude Adams. It's not new, but I know you would be into it. It's called Black Label. Oh Black man, Claude Anderson! I like this guy, man. <laughs> yeah, I follow him. Oh, uh, I see yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not sure where I follow him at, but. Um, I, I like to watch his videos, man. He's like, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I follow him on uh, I follow him on Instagram, and I also follow Doctor Boyce Walking. So yeah, Boyce that's mainly where I see him. Boyce is the man, man. Yeah, yeah. So I hope you enjoy the book, thanks man. a lot, man. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you for brother. your time, brother. Absolutely, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, again, this is James Lampkin signing out. Hope you all have a great evening. Thank you, Mr. Cousins, again for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Peace. Peace.